forget to do that all the time. Sorry. Today we're beginning a new series called Reflections, and uh, when I say that word, what does it make you think of? A mirror, right? Um, some of you look at those too much. Some of you need to spend a little bit more time in, in front of one, right? Uh, Callie loves being in front of a mirror. I tell you, it's funny watching her when she don't know I'm watching. I mean, she's posing and putting on lipstick, and she can do it great. I'm telling you, she she does it perfectly. Noah likes being in front of a mirror too, but it's almost like he's playing with his imaginary friend. You know, he's making faces and. It's like there's another person over there. Um, Isaac's scared to look in the mirror. And uh, Gideon, don't look in the mirror. He's, he says, why bother? I don't need to. You know, he's a little cocky. All right. I can't talk about my wife. Um, I, I made a promise that I wouldn't talk about her when the bathroom was involved. So I just can't. I won't go there, all right? But... Um, uh, a husband and wife were, t- were together one evening, and the wife is standing in front of a full-length mirror. You know what I'm talking about, head-to-toe type of thing. And uh, she's taking a hard look at herself, and she, she says, you know, you know, dear, I look in the mirror, and I see an old woman. Um, my face is wrinkled, and my body's sagging, and I'm a little bloated, and my legs are, are flabby. And she turns to her husband and says, please just tell me something positive that'll help me, that'll make me feel better. And uh, the husband thought about it and he looked at the wife and he said, well, at least there's nothing wrong with your eyesight. (laughs) All right. Hey, your eyesight's good, right? Sorry about that one. But a mirror, so it's interesting in a mirror, if you look into it, no matter matter where you turn or uh, what angle you look at, you you see the the same thing, just at a different angle. Did you know that the Bible is ultimately about Jesus? Okay, and uh, I know it's intimidating, Some some of our Bibles are really thick, and, but every page, thousands of pages, uh, is ultimately about Jesus, no matter where you open it, no matter what angle you look from it, whether it's Old Testament, whether it's New Testament, whether it's Psalms, whether it's history, whether it's prophecy, it's all about Jesus. Um, He didn't just show up in Bethlehem. You know, um, Jesus didn't just show up in Matthew. When we get to Matthew, oh, there's Jesus. There he is. He didn't just show up in Luke. Here's Jesus. No, it, he's everywhere in the Bible. Collections of Jesus and the gospel all throughout the, the Old Testament. And that's what we want to look at in this series is sort of these reflections. And I'm telling you, we could spend a lot of time here. Um, I really just want to focus on, on a few important things that came to my mind regarding the gospel, the gospel of Jesus in the Old Testament. And why is this important to know? Well, have you ever doubted God's word? Come on, be serious. I mean, I have. You know, I grew up in church, was taught God's word. I was a wanna, uh, an Awana kid. You know, but there's been times in my life when I'm like, what is this? Is this really for real? 
Um, you know, I've always appreciated God's word. I guess that's a good word to, to, I've always respected it, you know. But once I saw Jesus all throughout the Bible, I tell you, it changed my perspective. That's when the Bible became real to me. It became alive. Well, have you ever doubted your salvation? Come on, let's be honest. You know, we have people, lots of people in our area. We have lots of churches in our area that just doubt salvation, that just have the wrong view of salvation. Now, I'm telling you, when you look at Jesus and you look at the gospel in the Old Testament, you see salvation is a really big deal. And it's not necessarily from our end holding on to God. It's God's end holding on to us. Well, have you ever doubted God's love for you? Let's be honest. Yeah, hopefully this series will help remedy some of those questions, some of those doubts, some of those things that you face. You see, there's a common thread in all of Scripture from beginning to end. There's a thread that, that links the beginning page and the la- very last page, and it's God's grace and it's God's love for the world. The Bible is about God's redemption of mankind. And through grace and love, and what I want to show you today, it's a very important message today, and it's, it's amazing to me anyway, is that from the beginning, God's plan was to show grace and love through Jesus. Jesus was God's plan of salvation from the beginning, okay? You might say, Jesus, from the beginning, well, wait a minute, I know enough about the Bible to where Jesus isn't even mentioned until the New Testament, right? And that, that's true, but did you know Jesus' name means the Lord saves? There's salvation in the name of Jesus. So from the very beginning of time, God's plan of salvation was through Jesus. God just didn't come up with a plan halfway through creation and now. You see what I'm saying? You know, a couple thousand years ago or maybe 3,000 years ago or even 4,000 years ago, God wasn't like scratching his head trying to figure out what to do. It's not like he thought about it and thought about it and, and weighed his options and then made a decision. It's not like that at all. From the very beginning, God had a plan in place to save the world. And that plan was to show the world grace and love through Jesus. And in order for us to see this, in order for me to show you this and us go through it together, we have to go back and we have to start at the beginning. Okay? Okay. We think about creation and and God created the world. God did it all. We didn't have anything to do with creation, folks. Nothing. It was all on God's end. He made everything. Genesis means origins. And so when you want to read about the origins of the world, the origins of mankind, when you're sharing that information with your kids or grandkids, you know, Genesis is where you want to go. And we know this as creation. And I like Genesis 2 because it sums up creation. Genesis 2 verse 1. Listen to this. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all of their vast array. Everything in our 
world, everything in our universe, everything that we can see and everything that we can't see, all the other universes out there that they are still finding, right, even today, and even beyond that, things that we don't know are out there. They were all created and completed by God in the beginning, right? Completed. I want to show you the emphasis here on completion, on creation and finishing completion. Look at verse 2. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day, made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. You see, it kind of sounds like it's uh, redundancy there. There's uh, an emphasis on something, and it's finishing, creating Look, you may be the person that believes in, in a literal seven-day or six-day creation, resting on the seventh. That's my camp. That's the camp I'm in. Um, you may not believe that and struggle with that. That is okay, too. Do you understand that? You don't have to, you don't have to worry that you're going to not make it into heaven because of that at all. All right? But what I do want you to focus on is this word seventh. Seventh and completion and finishing and resting. Se- seventh in the Bible represents completion. All right. So what you need to understand, no matter what camp you're in, is that in the beginning, God completed it. It was finished. There was life in the beginning. Life was thriving. There was blessing. God didn't rest because he was tired. He rested because he was done. Okay, he was finished. The work was complete. Man had nothing to do with creation. Nothing else caused life. It wasn't a random occurrence. It was all God's design, God's work. He started it and he finished it. Okay, you see that? That emphasis right there on Genesis 2. And listen to me, okay? It lacked nothing. No lack. There's an emphasis there if you go back and read the uh, Genesis 1. Um, it was good. It was good. It was all good. That's what we say, you know, some of you say that. It's all good. It was all good. It was complete. Everything was good. But things didn't stay that way. And it wasn't because of God. You see, everything in the beginning was because of God and it was good and things didn't stay that way, but it was not because of God. Most of us know what happened next. God made everything good. He made everything complete. And then a woman came along and had to mess things up for everybody. Man, I'm going to get in trouble today. I'm just kidding. Man and woman were both there, right? right. Um, but we have the fall of man, and, and we look at it, and we're like, really, an, an apple? Big deal? It's just an apple? I mean, one small mistake was a big deal. Shortly after creation, the serpent entered the picture to try to break up God's good work. Okay, I don't have a lot of time to go into the serpent thing. But we know the enemy was there. The enemy fell before man, all right? Um, Was it a snake? Yes. I I take the Bible literally when I, uh, anytime I can, unless the Bible explains otherwise. 
somehow the enemy, Satan, influenced a serpent, reptile, whatever you want to. But you got to think, this is before the fall. Perfect. Good. Adam named the animals. There was this weird relationship that does not exist today. So Adam just didn't talk just to a snake and that's it. He probably talked to all the animals, you see. I want you to see that. But the, the serpent, the enemy, came in and saw God's completion and he saw God's prized creation and was jealous, tried to break up God's, God's work. He goes against God and he works counter to God. He had already fallen and he wanted others to fall too. He was so jealous of mankind that he wanted them to turn against God and he wanted God to turn it against them. I want you to see that. what did he do he began to cast doubt did God really say don't eat from the tree did he really say that and he got Eve and Adam too because Adam was there to question God's authority God's sovereignty God's power God's provision and God's goodness Genesis 3 6 so the, the enemy there is casting doubt saying all these things, feeding her lies. When the woman saw, okay, saw that the fruit of the tree was good. That's God's, all right, good. God did that. For food and pleasing to eye, you see, God did that. God made it good. God made it pleasing to look at. That was God's creation. But look, I want you to notice something here that comes in that is not of God and desirable for gaining wisdom. You see, there's the lack. There's the lack that Satan, the enemy, caused her to see. She saw that it was good, but then she also noticed that there, there was a lack in her life. There was something to desire, something to gain. So she took some and ate it she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it so the enemy look here's what the enemy does makes you feel incomplete makes you feel like you lack something right makes you feel like a failure sometimes the enemy causes you to focus on what you don't have rather than to realize the good that you do have so eve ate the fruit and then adam ate the fruit Verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together. So you see the first sign of conflict here and tension and what do two people do? They sue each other. All right, that's corny, sorry. So they sued one another. No, no. They sewed fig leaves together and they made coverings for themselves. You know, I'm looking at this and really, I know you've thought about this too. They were naked before. But their eyes were opened. Their eyes were opened. Not in a good way either. Immediately, and what, as we go through this, I want you to notice all the immediate consequences of sin. They felt insecure. They felt shame. They felt embarrassment. 
and they wanted to cover their shame, so they got some fig leaves and made the world's first fruit of a loom, right? <laughs> Things have been around a long time. They're pretty good product. But they covered themselves with the hope of covering their shame. Okay? Genesis 3.8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord, of the Lord God, as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So this keeps building. I want you to see this. Not only did they cover themselves out of shame, they tried to hide from God out of guilt. Shame. Guilt. They knew they messed up, so they hid. They hid. <laughs> I'm thinking, hide from God in the trees? Really? I mean, didn't he just make those? Right? Noah, <laughs> Noah tries to hide from me sometimes, and it's hilarious, you know, because he, he'll, I can see him. He, he leaves, he'll hide behind a corner and half his body sticking out. Or he'll hide under the bed, but what he does is he just sticks his head under there. (laughs) And he thinks, I can't see him. And I'm like, but I'm just thinking, Adam, you hide in the trees that God just made. But they felt so much guilt, so much shame that they wanted to avoid God. Right? Genesis 3, 9. Lord God called to the man. Where are you, he answered. I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. So we see insecurity, shame, guilt, and listen, listen, fear. For the first time, man was afraid to be in the presence of God. Fear. And there's more, more. Verse 11, and he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Of course God knew. He's trying to get man to own up, maybe take responsibility. And the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, or the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So we see all this, okay? We see shame, guilt, insecurity, fear, we see blame shifting, blame, blaming others. We, what does this create? Conflict here. Um, for the first time, we see a wedge between Adam and Eve, right? A little girl asked her father, where do people come from? And he got real nervous, you know, like <laughs> any father would when their daughter asked, asked that. And the little girl said, you know, like all people, where did all people come from? And so he breathed a sigh of relief, you know, oh, it's not the birds and the bees question. It's, you know, and uh, the dad said, well, in the beginning, God created everything, right? And the little girl said, well, I asked mom the same question, and she said that we came from monkeys. So the little girl wanted to know why the difference, you know, and. The father said, well, I told you about my side of the family, and she told you about hers. <laughs> Am I going to get in trouble today? 
Okay, I'll quit. My grave is deep enough. But sin, it, it causes conflict. The, the separation, a wedge, it causes us to feel shame and guilt. And the last thing that we want to do is to take responsibility for our mistakes. Adam placed the blame on Eve, but ultimately, who is he blaming? The woman that you put here? Who is he blaming? God. You see, we want to blame others. We do that. And when there's nobody around, we end up blaming God, right? The last thing we want to do is say, well, it's my fault. Because I want you to notice something. Adam and Eve both admitted to eating the apple. But they both said it was because of somebody else. You see, they, they admitted to it, but they didn't own up to their mistake. And we, through this, we see the, listen, immediate and devastating result of sin. We see insecurity, we see shame, we see guilt, we see fear, we see blame, we see separation, we see conflict, and God hadn't even got involved yet. These are all automatic consequences of sin that Adam and Eve immediately felt. After a good beginning, things got bad really fast. We see the, we see the fall, and that's what it was. A fall from man, from a harmonious relationship with God and the rest of creation. We see the failure of God's prized creation. And we were made in his image. We failed to live up to that purpose. So what would God's response be to that? What would a a perfect and just God do in the face of disobedience? Well, God's response is extraordinary. It's very extraordinary. Obviously, through this, we know that God expelled Adam and Eve from the garden. We know that pain and difficulty and hardships entered into the world, into the lives of mankind. We know that death entered the world because God's word teaches us the wages of sin, the payment, the penalty of sin is death. There had to be a punishment for sin in order for God to be holy and just. There had to be. God could have just said, well, I'm just going to forgive it, right? But then that would be God taking advantage of him being God. And he would, that wouldn't be fair, you see. That wouldn't be right. That wouldn't be just. So there had to be a punishment. So God responded with punishment. But listen, he also responded with a promise. He responded with a promise. And I think it's very interesting that the promise came before the punishment. Okay? I want to show you that. Immediately after this, God cursed the enemy, and he promised that the enemy would suffer the ultimate defeat. And he did this in front of Adam and Eve. God's first response to sin was to the enemy, and it was for them to know that he was going to take care of the enemy. He wanted them to know that. Genesis 3.15 says this to the serpent. This is God speaking to the enemy. And I will put enmity between you and and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. We're familiar with this, but this is the first prophecy in all the Bible. Okay? And this is probably the greatest prophecy. God, sh- all right, this is how we know that God just didn't come up with this, this idea of Jesus and salvation. God showed his cards right here. His cards are on the table. He's like, this, this is my hand that I'm playing. The 
This is the first presentation of the gospel of Jesus. And the promise points to the cross and the resurrection. You see, Jesus was the seed of the woman. Jesus was the offspring here that God is talking about. He was the the offspring of promise. Jesus would come into the world. He would suffer pain. The enemy would try everything in the world to defeat the offspring of the woman. But in the end, the enemy's head would be crushed. Right? Right? The enemy would be dealt a death blow. We know this. So God's ultimate plan of salvation through Jesus was already in place right here. Right here. He already had it in place. And just to show you that further, God did something interesting to Adam and Eve before they left the garden. Okay? Verse 21, chapter 3. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. This shows us, we're familiar with this, okay? This shows us that what was needed? A sacrifice. Sacrifice was needed. And in order for garments of skin to be given, right? What had to be shed? Blood. Blood had to be shed. Something had to be killed. It doesn't take much for us to see the connection here between this and the cross, between the bloodshed here and the bloodshed on the cross, but there's a connection that we always fail to realize here. The most important thing about what God did for them, Adam and Eve had already made coverings for themselves, you see. Okay? Fruit of looms, they weren't good enough. And what this shows us is that any way we try to cover our shame, it's not good enough. Anytime we try to make, uh, correct a mistake, it's not good enough. Anytime that we try to better or right our relationship with God, it's not good enough. Only he can cover our shame, our guilt. We can do our best, but in the end, only God can take that away through his forgiveness, through grace, through mercy. Only he can cover our shame with Christ. And listen, this is an amazing story of love to me. In the beginning, God created us, and even after we messed up, he continued to love us. Now, how are we to respond to that love? I'm going to wrap up here. What are we to do in response to what God did for us? First, first thing, two things. First thing is this, never doubt God's love for you, okay? I mentioned this in the beginning. I asked you this question. You ever doubted God's love for you? That happens all the time. Look, I don't want you to think that, uh, never think that God doesn't love you. Never doubt that. You may struggle with doubting the love of God for you as an individual. You might say, look, I understand that God loved the world I know the John 3, 16, but look, God loves you individually as a person right now. Fill in the blank. God loves, and put your name in there. God loves you. You may struggle with guilt. You may struggle with not being good enough. You may, you may think you've messed up too many times, done too many bad things. You may even struggle with God's love for you because of some devastating things that have happened to you in the past. 
But do you know where doubt comes from? Right? The enemy. The enemy. The enemy wants you to doubt God's love for you. He does. We don't do that. After Adam and Eve sinned, God pursued them. Where are you? You know, God went looking for them. He pursued them. And you know what? They didn't have to get get it right. They simply came to God when he said, where are you? They came out. They came to him. And he covered their shame. Why? Because he loved them. He loved them. So, friends, God has loved us from the very beginning. And his love for you is here now, and it will be with you forever and ever. The Bible teaches us that love never ends. Love is everlasting. Look at this, Isaiah 54. And I looked at a couple different translations, and I fell in love with the Good News translation. So let's look at this, Isaiah 54.10. The mountains and the hills may crumble, but my love for you will never end. I will keep forever my promise of peace. So says the Lord who loves you. Wow, isn't that good? That's a great verse. This world will beat you up. The enemy will try to get you to give up. Look, the consequences of sin in a fallen world are still real. We still live here. We are still sinners, you see. It's still very real, but what is also very real is God's love for you. It hasn't changed. God will always love you. And look, God loved you before you were born. As a matter of fact, God put his plan of salvation in place before the first human baby was born. This will blow your mind when you think about it. Before the first person was ever born, God thought about you. Think about this for a moment. Would you create something knowing that it would fail and knowing that you would have to die for it? Would you go ahead and allow life to continue? It wouldn't be logical, would it? But that's exactly what God did. And it's not logical, but it's love. It's love. Never doubt God's love for you. And then, finally, and we're going to finish, love God in return. Because of God's great love for us, he simply wants us to love him back. He wants our hearts. He wants us to not focus on what we're lacking like Eve did. You see that? But he wants us to focus on his love and his goodness for us. He wants to be our desire, and he wants us to love him back. 1 John four nineteen. We all know this verse, but in light of what we've looked at today, this is an amazing verse. We love because he first loved us. If you read this literally, it's a command. It's not saying, you know, it's not just a general saying, but it's more like we are to love because he first loved us. You see, from the beginning... God's plan was to love us through Christ. And now, 
since we've placed our faith in Christ, that's how we love God back, is through Christ. Not just with our words, but with our lives, with who we are, with how we live. 2 Timothy 1.9, look at this. He has saved us and called us to a holy life. And then look at this. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. And then look at this here. This is amazing. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. How remarkable is that? You know, because of sin in the world, we can't be perfect. We can't be perfect. But because of God's perfect love for us through Jesus, we can and we should try to live holy lives. From the beginning, Jesus was the answer to our problem. And from the beginning, God has loved you with this indescribable love that will never end. So never doubt God's love for you. Never do that. He has loved you from the beginning, and may we show gratitude to him by loving him in return. Amen. Well, let's pray together. Father, I thank you today uh, just for showing us in your word greater than what we could ever imagine. That your plan of salvation for us wasn't just a last minute thing, but you had your plan in place before Adam and Eve had their child. And to allow us to continue to grow as a as as mankind. Lord, that shows us that you love us. Father, help us to never doubt your love for us. That's the enemy talking to us. When we do things, when we struggle with things from our past, when things happen to us now um, that we don't understand, we may doubt your love for us, Father. Help us to not do that. You loved us from the very beginning, and you will love us forever. And in return, help us to love you back with our lives by trying to be holy. And when we fall short, coming to you with, uh, with our hearts and um, come, coming to you in repentance and seeking forgiveness and restoration. And through your love, you, you are always faithful to us, Father. And if there's anybody that is here today, God, that doesn't have that relationship with you, Father, I pray today that they would come to you. You've already taken the step towards them. I pray that they would just realize that they don't have to do anything at all to clean themselves up, to change their lives in order to have a relationship with you. They just need to come to you and you cover their shame and their guilt through the blood of Jesus Christ. And then you send them out to live a new life, a forgiven life, a life with a relationship with you and a love that is lasting. Thank you, God, for that love. In Jesus' name, amen.